You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. We have a great conversation lined up for you today, thinking about Android, a multifaceted discussion with Aditi Bhatnagar. Here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask Aditi to take a moment to introduce herself before we dive into today's topic. Thanks for inviting me, Casey. I'm so happy to be here. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Aditi. In short, my introduction is that I like making or breaking code. My research interests currently include Android security, cloud security, and networks. I am currently working with Atlassian as a product security engineer and was previously with Microsoft working on endpoint security. I like conducting infosec trainings, and besides my day job, you can find me hanging around in my Discord community, which I call Infinite Headquarters, interacting with a bunch of interesting people. So excited about this conversation. Let's get started, Casey. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And I think, you know, when we had initially tossed around the idea of doing a podcast, I gauged your interest, and, you know, the topic of Android was really that you were passionate about. So I think this is going to be a great conversation. I want you to start us off maybe by explaining to the listeners what is important about Android as a technology from a techno-sociological context. Oh, that's interesting. Well, before we get started into that, I'll ask the listeners to take a minute, look around, and spot on Android in their surroundings. I am positive that most of you are having them right now around you. And before the iPhone users jump to say, no, not literally, we are not Android people, I do not mean essentially mobile phones. They can be anything. It can be a watch. It can be smart TV. Um, built on top of Fire OS, which is, again, based on Android. It can be your touch panel in the car or the smart glasses or Google glasses or the smart fridge or machine that orders the stuff from you on your behalf, right? So it can be anything, and you see that you're surrounded by Android. And that is not surprising because it is an easy-to-use, open-source, freely available Linux-based OS that offers functionalities that make it easy to create stuff on top of that. And secondly, it's affordable, and if you talk about the developing countries like India, where I am from, I'd say it's a game-changer technology because people can access it, unlike, you know, iPhone or the other technological uh, counterparts. When you talk about uh, particularly Android mobile, it has changed the way we live our daily lives. There are a huge number of high-utility, amazing apps, apps to book cabs or order food, listen to music, entertainment, chatting, social media, payments, video calling, online shopping, so on. Like these have literally redefined a reality and it keeps evolving. The use cases are becoming more and more personalized. I also saw apps recently which were like, like they offer you the convenience to literally book a person to do stuff for you. So the person can buy flowers or book a seat for you and so on. So the convenience and utility that this technology has added to the personal lives of people is remarkable. And this has led to creation of new habits on a personal level. That is how people organize their lives. And at a societal level as well, I mean, how groups of people organize themselves. Right? It has facilitated the change about how people express themselves, communicate, and collaborate. Now, I'm sure that this is not like Android specific. You might be thinking that technology itself is somewhat doing those kind of things. 
But the point here is that any tech that is as widely popular as Android shapes how society functions. It's not about just the creation of tech. It's about the reachability of technology. So what Android has enabled is to make all those technological, magical features reach out to the common people. And let me make a point by giving some examples. Like, we can talk about a simple feature like stories, right? And thinking about the... Uh, you know, how it affects the societal component, like how do we interact, how do we organize, so how Android affects that. So let's talk about a simple example of the feature called Stories. You'll see that in all popular chat apps, it's a common thing, right? Every On every chat app, you can share a story. Now, if you go back in time and try to compare how that sort of communication is different than what we had before, you'll find that Stories is a very different kind of communication. It is not a dialogue. It's not two people interacting. It is not a monologue either. It's not just you talking to yourself. It is somewhere in between. It's like you expressing a part of you that you want people to see while having the knowledge of the fact that this information might shape their perception of yours. So do you, do you see the complexity? It has gone deeper, right? And that is just one minor aspect of what we are talking about here. Another interesting thing that I noted was the human variable of a digital equation, I call it, with Android especially, like so many package delivery services have increased, right? Like getting goods to your place, getting food at your place. And most of it, while it is done by machines, like there are algorithms, the last part, the delivery component, is essentially a human being doing that, that kind of job. So if you see like the number of jobs which have been introduced in a society, which is kind of good because it's employment. But if you see the mundaneness of the, those tasks, it is also something different which technology has introduced. So it's like the same kind of job they are essentially fitting in as a part of the equation where they fix the last bit of the equation of delivering a thing to, a, uh, to another human being ordering that, right? So those kind of jobs have... And I'm sure there are like so much more to what I've just mentioned. Like these are just the two examples. And if you uh, go from the perspective of a user, as a user, what are you seeing more now? Like, in comparison to your initial experiences with technology, you'll see that a lot of choices have been built into. There's a choice paradox. There are, like, many options to pick from. Another thing you can see is increase in number of spams or junk calls. Many times it happens you have no clue on, you know, how your number, phone number, your contact number landed up with someone or some ad agency, right? Like, why are you getting this text message? Why are you getting this call? And you have no clue on what went behind the scene, how this tracing was done, that this is the person I should send the ad to. Then there's a lot of misinformation. Since Android is in hands of almost every other person, people are free to create content and circulate it. And the credibility is lost. What What is right, what is wrong is lost. And it is one of the major challenges that people are trying to solve um, in chat apps and on the Android platform in general, that how do you get rid of this misinformation? Another thing, attention economy, too many notifications, right? And that this is something that we'll talk more about if we uh, have time, that how too many notifications essentially make people distracted, you know, the whole concept of deep work and being able to focus on things like all the apps or all the technology, are they made in such a way that they take more attention from the user? Like, is that what's happening? There's like a good debate which is going on in the industry right now on that. Another thing, mm. tech addictions. 
right? There's a very interesting uh, concept that I came around on why gambling is addictive, right? There's a good uh, research which is done and it's available on the internet on, like, why is gambling so addictive? There's, like, something particular in, in the whole process of gambling, like you are sitting in front of a machine and waiting for intermittent rewards. And if you compare it with mobile, with your experience with Android phone, that is particularly what is happening. Like you get notifications at any time interval, right? And there is like a psychological part of your brain which is just waiting for that trigger, waiting for that notification. And that is what leads to tech addiction. So there is like well done research on that. Different kind mm. of things that we are seeing around and impacting, you know, society as such. And I feel Android is placed very nicely in that uh, impact level, that how it impacts people. It is The positioning is very, very interesting. Yeah, it's interesting and fascinating just, you know, how deeply entrenched these technologies have become into our lives in ways that, you know, we don't really necessarily think about. I want to dig a little bit deeper there and ask if you can maybe talk about the impact Android has had on humans in terms of the intentional evolution of its different features. Let's take digital well-being, for example. Yeah. So, I mean, the time you spend with Android is actually pretty crazy, right? Like, I think it is one of the things which stays with you almost all the time. And um, it actually became a concern in industry as well as to how do you restrict the time you spend, which kind of goes against the whole revenue model. If you think that it is based on attention economy, it, it goes against that. But it still, it is a valid concern, and that is why uh, you'll find uh, like major tech leaders like Google itself coming up with things like digital well-being. So essentially, it is like a set of tools that you can use to regulate your time spent on the device. So it gives you features like how much time do you spend on which app, right? And features like time you spend watching YouTube, for example, or smooth your notifications, or this is bedtime, so just put the mobile phone in grayscale mode. And you'll find that the intention behind all these features is just that you as a person um, is able to manage your time spent with technology in a much more efficient manner and you're not just uh, there scrolling or sitting around waiting for that next notification. Um, in my opinion, I think it is a good initiative, but how useful it is is still something that we need to figure out because when it comes to use cases, like there's a clear-cut, you know, motivation to check your mobile or there's an inherent um, wait for intermittent rewards or whatever, like the next good thing on mobile that you can find, which makes you come back to your mobile phone. But then how often do you actually uh, see that, hey, I spent this whole hour on this app and this is not good. And maybe you'll see it once, maybe you'll see it twice, but then what happens? Like if it is serving a need for you, you go back to the uh, mobile phone and do it anyway. So how useful it is is another question that we can have debate on, but I think it's a good initiative overall and something which was needed at this point in time. And I, I think that question leads to a really important one about security and our need to really take a look at not only Android, but all of these different technologies through a security lens. And I'd like you to maybe discuss a little bit how that ecosystem has evolved, specifically what kinds of threats are we seeing in the wild and what are some of the challenges that need to be addressed? Yes. 
from Android perspective, things get really interesting in the way that the market segmentation is like, like the number of versions of operating system of Android which are out there uh, being used by people. It is very diverse. Not everyone is using Android 11. Not everyone is on Android 10, right? People are still on Android 7. They are still on Android 8. And there are still open security loopholes in those operating systems that can only be patched if you upgrade, right? Or if you have at least enabled any sort of security updates. So um, the market segmentation of uh, the operating system itself makes a very interesting point on how can you secure Android devices or how secure is your own Android device. Another thing is that Android is not just Google, right? Like, it's an open-source system, and so many people have adopted it. So many times, like manufacturers, they add their own custom OEM layers on top of it. Like, it's not just pure vanilla Android. It's some layer on top of it. And even if Android is not vulnerable, you know, that layer might have uh, some security issues that need to be fixed. Um, another thing is the security patches by the vendors themselves. Like, your mobile device, your Android device is not always supported for security patches. Most of the time, the time tenure is like three years or five years, like up to the uh, manufacturer. The support is stopped, and after that, your device is just vulnerable, right? So all those kind of things are there in Android, which makes it interesting that, uh, okay, it's still like, how do you decide that your mobile phone is secure, right? Now, talking about the Android threat landscape, it started in 2010, when we started seeing threats on Android in general. And the major vector was sideloading from arbitrary websites. And this is still true. Like, sideloading is one of the major ways in which an APK, APK is basically an installable file, like your app. Um, so that is called APK when you download it and install it. Um, so sideloading that APK from arbitrary website is something which is a common thing, which leads to most of the um, threats because... You can download a file, like you can download an app from Google Play Store, or you can sideload it, right, from some website or some other stores like uh, like that. So the thing is that you need to know from where you're downloading the APK from. That is one of the uh, things which is still contribute to a lot of threats. And that was when we started seeing it in 2010. Uh, the major threats that time was premium SMS trojan or Now, it's five years. You can still, like, I'm sure if you scroll down your you know, hacker news or some, um, whatever you consume the news from, you'll find it Android spyware being in news all the time. And it makes a really interesting case because Android being such a personalized device, spyware makes the most sense. Like if someone wants to, if a, uh, Android mobile phone makes a perfect target for that because of the amount of information that it has about you, right? And then if you move forward uh, from 2010 to 2011, 2012, you'll see that, again, the number of threats keep on evolving. And from SMS Trojans and spywares, uh, we started seeing dialers and routing Trojans and then adwares, um, right? And then and that kept on increasing more and more to financial Trojans, which came around in 2014. And then... It, it went along, like mobile uh, banking, uh, ransomwares, and all that. So these have been particularly there. Financial trojans, coin miners, ransomwares have been there. Uh, recently, the major component, I think, is adwares, which is the app which shows you like a lot of ads, and they try to earn via that. So that is what is happening, um, more or less. People are usually of the opinion that Android is like sandbox, no app talks to each other, so it is kind of cool. There are not a lot of security threats, but there are, especially in terms of spyware and ransomware. If you look around 
the apps that have been developed just to spy on on the other person, right? Now, they can be, like, the people who are interested can be anyone. They can be parents trying to look after what their children are doing, like trying to spy on their children. They can be, like, spouses trying to spy on each other. It can be government trying to spy on a potential threats to the national security, or they can be state-sponsored hackers trying to spy on. So, and these have been a lot. These these are something that we are seeing happening and increasing in the market right now. And so, given the vast number of threats and you know that evolution of spyware, adware, ransomware, and the other threats that you mentioned, um, you know the point that you make that these devices have a lot of information about us. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about in this conversation today is privacy. I'd love it if you could explain to our listeners the crucial role that Android plays when it comes to data protection. So that is one of my interesting, like one of the things I find the most interesting about Android, um, which is the privacy aspect, the data aspect, because Android has over 2.8 billion um, active users. They keep on growing. That's the last I remember. But Android has so many active users that it, it makes sense, like if you want to, get data about people, I think Android becomes the best target for that. It has a global market share of 25%, which itself speaks of how much data are we talking about when we say Android, right? It's not just technology, right? It's it's the most personalized device that can be for a human being, right, who's ever opting for that. And for Android, I think the size and the sensors matter. So this is something we touched upon previously that it's a thing that stays with you, right? So it's not like if you have bought Android and you, if you talk about the time that you spend with that mobile phone, it is very significant. And we both show that people spend four to five hours on an average. And if you're like sleeping with a device next to you, then it becomes 24 hours because it's it's like an extended body part. It's no more like a gadget that you're using. It's not like your laptop that you open and close at fixed amount of times. Use for fixed amount of times, right? So it stays with you all the time. And the problem is that it's not just a device which is staying with you. It's a device which is full of receivers and sensors. It can receive cellular signals. It has a mic to listen. It has a GPS to track location. It has a camera to see what you are seeing. It can integrate with other devices almost seamlessly. So it's not just Android. Uh, it's Android talking to other uh, devices on in in your network, right? Service is to capture how you're interacting with the device. A keyboard to capture whatever you're typing. It's like a common keyboard across all the apps that you use. And it has like a bunch of motion position sensors which help collect information to acceleration, physical position of the device, temperature, pressure, humidity, and whatnot. Like I remember writing a dummy app for Android just to see what all I can extract from the device without taking any permission from the user. And it was very interesting. Like, the app can literally tell when will you wake up next, and that's because it can get the, the context of your alarm, right? When have you set the alarm? It can read, without any permission, the last text that was there on clipboard. Just, just imagine the use case. Like, some app, without any permission, is reading everything that you are, you know, copy-pasting. And you do it a lot. If you you want to send a link from somewhere to your to some person in, in the chat, you'll just copy-paste the link. You share your link and profile, and then that is copy pasted and now some random app can just get it and it will know it can associate that okay this is all the data that I collected and this is the person I can attribute it to. So those kind of things were there and uh, they were very interesting to see that 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 kind of 
collection can easily happen. And this is not an unknown problem. Uh, you can see that there's a lot of um, client-side collusion of information which is in place. Like a lot of apps can collect information and things like permission redelegation uh, come into picture. So what is that in common? Um, like a basic explanation of that would be one app takes permission to, say, read your IMEI information, and another app takes permission to, say, take your GPS location. Now, user has the control on whether you, the person wants to give permission to do that or not, but the two apps can then interact with each other and then share that information as well, right? So how do you regulate that? Mm -hmm. How do you regulate that this is not happening? And this can very easily happen if the apps are built within the same libraries, right? So there are common libraries that you can use, uh, especially if they are like ad libraries. They can easily collect a lot of information and also exchange it among the apps and collect all the information possible from your device and about you. So I see a problem to solve there. So uh, that is there. And as we talked about spywares, right? Spywares are like, the, they, they are like the biggest kind of harm which can happen to any human being on whose device that if spyware is installed. Like they can track device location, they can get your nearby cell tower info, retrieve your account passwords, record audio calls, you know, screen recordings, device fingerprinting, emails, SMSs, whatever. So they can do a lot of this stuff. In fact, there's a really fascinating service in Android which is called Accessibility Service. And that service allows the developer to see whatever you're doing on the screen, whatever comes on your screen, right? It can take a screenshot. It can read whatever you are seeing. So that itself, and it can capture all the, all the events, all the actions that the user takes. So there are things like that. They are meant for a different thing, a different purpose. Like they are meant for providing support to people who need support while, you know, reading or other things like who have special needs. But they are often misused and, you know, rather used in malicious intents like fires or um, other, other thoughts. That is why I think privacy is like, it becomes a really challenging problem to solve when it comes to Android. It does, and, and I don't even think it's exclusively Android, right? It's Linux, it's iOS, it's any of these operating systems that these apps can sit on and um, operate on and then, you know, communicate with each other and you know, given that, you know, it is this massive issue of data protection, how do privacy policies need to evolve? And what are some upcoming changes that will provide Android users with better privacy controls? I mean, I agree with your point on, like, these things can happen on iOS as well, but I think the major difference that comes up is, Android is, like, very open. People know how to mess up with it because the code is there and a lot of knowledge is out there. Like, even if a malicious person wants to create things, there are a lot of resources that they can find. I think it's just my personal opinion, but it's very difficult to do that for us. And overall, um, you can play around with Android a lot in that, in that aspect just because it's very open and it's very uh, the resources are out there. Um, now, talking about the privacy policies, um, I would say Android 11, if you haven't checked out what, what improvements have been made, it is worth um, having a look at what privacy things Android has introduced to address a lot of issues which have been there for years, and they have done it well, I would say. So if you are on Android 11, you will start noticing that the permission model has changed. 
it gives you a good dialog box now that whether you want this permission to be always allow or just you know allow it only while using the app and things like that so it it gives you that level of control which needs to be there for the user to decide on when can that app use the information which is regulated by permissions right is it always like are you getting my location always even though i am not using your app or is it only when i'm using the app that you're getting the permission or is it like i give the permission every time i want to use the app so those kind of controls have been introduced which um, which is really good another thing is the scope storage enforcement which has happened which is essentially how does the storage work in android right and what all can the apps access um so that has happened background location change has changed uh the background location access has changed um then package visibility is another thing which has changed which is an interesting thing because previously any app can actually query what are the other apps which are sitting on your device right it was just a simple call which you can make and you can know that okay these are the apps which are sitting on the device and uh, there there have been research papers around how those apps can also be used to profile a person right because if you're having apps like suppose some bank app abc bank using and you're having that bank's app the likelihood that you're using that bank is very high right or if you are having a dating app or um, some counseling app right so that kind of helps me understand what kind of person you are what phase you might be in what what's your gender what's your country and those things like that so uh, package visibility is another thing which has been uh, put beside a permission in uh, Android 11 like not every app can query what are the other packages on Android so those kind of things have happened and i am confident that we are moving in the right direction and these are like good set of changes which have been introduced and i am looking forward to the next version of Android and see what all uh, comes up and seeing what you can break <laughs> Adidi, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, do you have any closing words for our listeners? Just thank you for listening, and uh, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, Katie, and to all the listeners. Uh, just watch out for Android Space. I mean, a lot is happening, and I'm sure that a lot of things need to be addressed especially around data and privacy aspects of android so that is something that i'll definitely watch out for and i'd be great if you do too yeah and definitely you know we'd love to talk to you again as as you see those important pieces of data privacy and um data collection and protection evolving and changing and you know anything that needs to be shared with our audience we'd love to have another conversation with you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. A reminder that here at RSAC we host podcasts twice a month and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. Interested in being a guest on our podcast? Visit rsaconference.com/become a contributor to learn more. Thank you.